um, things as they are present and as they become represented as an idea of themselves in the brain. One way of putting this is that in the right hemisphere, things present. In the left, they are literally re-presented. And Elkin and Goldberg, um, famous American neuroscientist, did um, a whole decade of research really showing that um, experiences of all kinds are preferentially processed in the right hemisphere, but as they become familiar and become, as it were, an icon of themselves, they, were, um, they engaged more the attention of the left hemisphere. So, um, and this is just to make this a bit more practical. Uh, here you have um, drawings by people in three states. On the left, the intact person in the middle with their um, uh, right hemisphere inactivated and on the left with their left hemisphere inactivated. And you can see that in the middle, where there's only the left hemisphere working, things have become very shrunken uh, whereas on, and, and symbolic, really, that tree, whereas on the right, you see something that has the living flow and form of a tree. Uh, this is the same with flowers, geometric symbols, according to the left hemisphere, but the right hemisphere's ones are more like sort of plants as we know them, living things. Um, I'll skip over that one. And this is really just to draw your attention, we haven't got time, to the this column about what a person has become uh, in terms of uh, the, uh, the left hemisphere's take on, on life. Now, I have a, a theory, which is not that the brain has evolved in some curious way and is controlling us, um, uh, but that when we come to, when we come to conceptualize uh, and do what philosophers do and stand back and think about the world, we're forced to become more explicit that is the whole exercise. We're forced to have a coherent body of beliefs about the world. But the trouble is, we may find that the world is not as simple as the coherences we'd like to impose on it suggest. And we're more prepared to sacrifice reality than we are to sacrifice um, coherence. And so we end up with a world that is very, very limited in if we start thinking like this, we, we constrain the way in which we perceive the world to be more like the world that the left hemisphere has, because the left hemisphere um, uh, is the one that privileges internal consistency. A very nice piece of research by um, uh, um, Marcel Kinsborn and a, a Russian colleague where they ask people to look at syllogisms. And this is one company in which I don't have to tell you what a syllogism is. And, um, but the syllogism had a twist. One of the premises was false. So, for example, um, the porcupine is a monkey uh, was one of the false lines. And the syllogism went, all monkeys climb trees, that's true. The porcupine is a monkey, that's clearly false. The porcupine climbs trees. Is it true or not? Well, actually, between you and me, very annoyingly, there are porcupines that climb trees. But, <laughs> but the Russian experimenters and their subjects didn't know that, so just put that out of your mind. Now, when they, they asked these people to look at this in three... To, to give the answer, is this syllogism true? In three conditions. One intact, two left hemisphere only, and three right hemisphere only. And to cut a long story short, it was very consistent across the various subjects and different syllogisms. And what happened was that in the normal state, the person says, no, this is nonsense, the porcupine's not a monkey, um, it's prickly, it runs on the ground. Then in the left hemisphere only situation, the same person, so not a different individual, this is the same person on a different day, says, yes, it's true. And the examiner says, but why? 
don't you know the porcupine's not a monkey? And she sort of looks a bit faced, but says, yes, but it's still true. Why? Because that's what's written on this piece of paper. And then when you go to the right hemisphere, it says indignantly, rather like the, the whole brain state, can't be right because the porcupine's nothing like a monkey. So, I mean, I know that these are two different ways of thinking about truth, and they both have a kind of validity. One is internal coherence to a system. The other is looking out of the window and finding out what actually happens. And I'm suggesting that we're moving more and more into a world which is constrained by this belief that we must be consistent with a set of propositions, and anything that doesn't fit is just cut off. Rather, as Ray was saying, if it doesn't fit your theory, consciousness can't be fit. You just say, well, it's an illusion. Well, nothing could be more... Um, uh, irrational than to suppose that consciousness, which is what, is your, what you're using to reach that conclusion, is an illusion. But if we were, this is what we would find. We'd find generally a loss of the broader picture. We'd find knowledge replaced by information, tokens or representations, ticking boxes. Loss of the concepts of skill and judgment, which are embodied and individual and far too unpredictable, um, bureaucracies like things like algorithms which a machine could follow. Again, matter and mind need to be amphibiously aspects of the same thing. And if you sunder them by saying it's got to be either this or that, as the left hemisphere would prefer, you get abstraction on the one hand and reification, lump and matter, on the other. Bureaucracy would have a field day because according to Peter Berger, who's a famous uh, sociologist, these are the features of it and they are all features favoured by the left hemisphere's take on the world. There'd be a loss of the sense of uniqueness. Um, a quantity would become the only criterion. We'd be forced to uh, make decisions uh, in a black and white way. Reasonableness is not the same thing as rationality. In German, there are two different words. Verstand is rationality, and Vernunft is, is reason, which is a, a complex, subtle com concept, which is an amalgam of experience with the ability to think clearly. And um, there'll be a general failure of that very uncommon, uh, these days, thing, common sense. Systems will be designed simply to maximise utility. Morality, in fact, would be seen in terms of utility. There'll be a loss of social cohesion, because this is to do with the right hemisphere's empathic skills. Um, uh, psychopaths have problems in their right ventral medial frontal cortex. Um, there'll be a paranoia and lack of trust, because the whole point of the left hemisphere is to be able accurately to control things and grasp them, and things that are not under its control are dangerous, and it uh, would therefore be in favour of continuously monitoring things, perhaps with CCTV cameras, perhaps even having a database of the entire population. <laughs> and and there's in general, there'll be a need for total control. Also, the left hemisphere is not, as you know, commonly thought of, very cool and rational. In fact, both are emotional. Both are involved in absolutely everything, which is why the old ideas about the right hemisphere and left hemisphere went out of the window. But the one, one uh, uh, emotion that lateralizes most clearly is anger, and it lateralizes to the left. Um, we would see ourselves as the passive victims of others' doings. Art would become conceptual. I haven't got time to go into these particular aspects, but the right hemisphere is the one that understands perspective, which, by the way, we have found and lost in three civilizations, the Greek, the Roman, and then again in... 15th century Florence, and um, music would be reduced a little more than rhythm, which is the bit of music which the left hemisphere in most people is equipped to understand rather than melody and harmony. Um, interestingly, um, both uh, perspective and harmony came in with the Renaissance and went out with the 20th century. And language would become, I hope, not too much like mine, diffuse, excessive, and lacking in concrete reference. 
to be deliberate undercutting of the sense of awe or wonder, which would just be Mysterianism, um, which it doesn't compute, as it were, to the left hemisphere. Flow would be, as I say, a sum of an infinite series of pieces. We've discarded tacit form of know forms of knowing in favour of what the Tocqueville presciently saw as the future of America, a network of small complicated rules that would finally strangle society. And we would see ourselves as Descartes proudly announced that he was more a spectator than an actor in the world. And all this would be accompanied by a dangerously unwarranted optimism. <laughs> now, um, I'm presenting that because that's all I've got time to present. There's an enormous amount more. It will seem very glib like this. The book is substantial and you can go over it in your own time and find the material for references and see the evidence from which I make these very broad deductions. But the thing I just want to say is, to my concluding remark, is I'm not suggesting that the brain somehow drives culture. I'm not suggesting that we are our brains. But I'm suggesting that there are constraints to our thinking which are molded by these two ways that for evolutionary reasons we mustn't be aware of having. We have to fuse them. Otherwise we would be a mess. We wouldn't survive. So we're taking in these two versions of the world. And it's only when we stop and reflect, when we do philosophy, or we start talking as a culture about big ideas, that we start thinking in one or the other way, because we want to construct a system that is internally coherent, but doesn't actually look out of the window where porcupines are not monkeys, or weren't when I last looked. <laughs> Thank you.